Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, the biggest hurdle for state CIOs to do their job? It's the resistance to change that is, is the biggest thing. And, you know, you can't change things overnight. States are responding to more cyber incidents than we may know. And by the way, we're, we do run tabletop exercises, but we actually exercise this in a real world much more often than most people realize. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Philadelphia officials are exploring minting their own cryptocurrency with City Coins. The crypto company has already created digital coins in New York and Miami. 30% of the value of each coin goes into a digital wallet that only the city can use. Philadelphia CIO Mark Wheeler says the city's mayor is, quote, very enthusiastic about the idea. Texas's IT agency has a new mobile application that allows residents to renew their driver's license, vehicle registration, or professional licenses. Texas CIO Amanda Crawford says the new app is the latest in the state's efforts to provide more convenient digital services. She says more services are coming to the app soon. Cleveland's new snowplow tracker website is back up and running after a malfunction during a snowstorm. The tracker is new mayor Justin Bibb's response to residents frustrated with uncleared roads. Bibb says the site is part of a broader plan to update the city's snow removal efforts. You can read all these stories and many more on statescoop.com. There are also links in today's show notes. There are more than half a dozen new CIOs in roles across major cities, counties, and states in the U.S. in places like Virginia, New York City, Pittsburgh, San Jose, and Wyoming. These new IT leaders all control multi-million dollar IT budgets, but budget is only one element of a CIO's success. State Scoop's Colin Wood asked Doug Robinson, the executive director of the National Association of State CIOs, and Stu Davis, the former CIO of Ohio, what makes a CIO successful and good. I think my perspective on this is that uh, you know we focus a lot on the, the technology, but you know I, I do believe that it has more to do with uh, communications and being able to a deal with change management uh, and, and the and necessary uh, skills and capabilities to, to really uh, deal with this change in the organization, particularly resistance to change. And you know, there's an old axiom uh, from a, a CIO book, you know, more than a decade ago, focused on you know the successful CIOs build people, not systems. And uh, we talk about that, you know, in NASIO that a CIO role is more about people and money. Uh, than technology. So I think that's a big perspective that, that I have. And, uh, you know, also uh, closing the knowing-doing gap, right, I mean, making sure you can you can execute. And that can be a, a huge challenge in large bureaucratic organizations like state government. Does uh, what Doug said match your experience, Stu? You were the CIO for more than seven years in Ohio. Yes, it, yes, it does. You know, <clears throat> one of the key things is you have to lead through change and and that is um, that means you have to have relationships that, with folks that are going to be able to communicate the message that you're doing. So you, you plan the work, you work the plan, um, and those relationships are really what ends up um, really making things work. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that there aren't things to measure because I think, to Doug's point, you have to be able to do, and therefore you have to, in your plan, define those dates and to listen to what other people are saying and and to actually hear what they're saying too. So you have to have some thick skin because there's gonna be some hard messages that come back from some of the relationships that you're trying to build. And when I talked to Doug for the print story, one of the things he, he talked about was the importance of being able to execute because not all CIOs can do that. What are some of the top challenges that CIOs face, Stu, when 
they're attempting to execute, but they can't. Certainly, uh, you know, I don't know if I would call it adoption, but, you know, buying into what you're trying to trying to do. I mean, I think everything comes down to how vested everybody is in trying to get something done. And that's really how it gets done. And And then to measure it, like I said, I mean, you have your milestones through that process so you can make sure that you're making progress number one and if you're not then you know let's figure out why not let's take a step back and and move around whatever that that obstacle might be but it's the resistance to change that is is the biggest thing and you know you can't change things overnight and you know one of my favorite sayings uh, was the old Lakota Sioux saying that you can't influence a wild horse um, and, and, you know, until you're on it and you're riding it. So you can't change its direction until you're on it. So it takes time and you have to, you have to be able to invest that time and the relationships to make those things work. Doug, do, do CIOs ever come to you for advice on this kind of topic? Like, you know, they have these grand plans for what they're going to do and it's just not happening as they'd hoped. Yes. And, and they want recommendations on good bourbon, right, Stu? Uh, that's part of that. Exactly. Stu and I, Stu and I, you know, and I get to know our presidents very well. But I think most of that is, is yes, I, I do kind of play CIO whisper role on a regular basis, uh, particularly you know when we're looking at all these transitions. But you know, part of that is 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 exactly what Stu said is that they get frustrated. Uh, I think in some cases they perhaps don't you know don't fully understand that uh, they. Uh, have to really learn, particularly ones that come from the private sector. They have to they have to really learn the I call it navigating the pirate map. You know how you, that decision making process and everything else, and you know understand that you know the governor is is not sitting around with the chief of staff in the cabin and having conversations about technology and infrastructure and operational issues and IT because they don't want to spend their time on that um, and. You have to make sure that you're not on their list, and you're only going to be on their list if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've got trouble, you know, if you have issues and things like that. So they they, they want to know how to do that. I'd say part of it is just making sure that, uh, you know, as Stu said, you're you're uh, you're executing, you know, on that plan and you manage your expectations, but uh, you do have to, you know, you do have to make progress, and you have to demonstrate that, and you have to you have to measure that. But I think part of that is. You know, kind of staying humble and just continue to uh, and continue to to uh, to work that. And part of that is what Stu said, which I think is one of the key things is is that word trust is is really important. I I, I do I talk about that today, even in my role. You know, I, I tell people my role is to build trust in our organizational stakeholders, whether it's the our board, whether it's our state members, whether it's our corporate partners, whether it's all of the strategic association partners that that uh, that we work with you know it's a key thing is how do you build trust with those those organizational stakeholders and i think uh you know Stu mentioned that that's that's what you've got to do as cio too you've got to you know you've got to get the trust of the uh, uh the agencies and it takes time to uh, to take time to do that um you have to you know continue to to work with them and not be in the command and control mode but you know, kind of work in the collaborative mode, and you can get those, you can get those agencies to to uh, to buy in, particularly the ones, you know, the agency leaders, and and the, you get them to to buy into your direction, uh, and uh, don't don't try to kind of boil the ocean with all that stuff either. I see that happen where way, way, way too many things going on. You got to 
you got to focus on one thing and get that thing done and do it well and then move to the next one. But, you know, there's a lot on their plate and they're often frustrated by, you know, not being able to get all these things done. I think it's trying to do two things, too many things at once. In today's world, you have like maybe 18 months. I mean, it's not like you have a five-year project or, you know, a six-year project. So you've got to You've got to chunk it out so that you can make progress and show progress, even though it might be a three-year effort or, or a four-year effort, but you have to show value before that happens. And and that comes down to, and you'll hear this, Colin, all through probably this discussion, relationships and communication, and, and that trust piece is a big part of that relationship. So you have to say what you mean and you mean what you say, and you also have to pick up the phone and let them know bad news. It does not age well. So, you know, just because you've got a relationship with somebody doesn't mean they're going to give you a, you know, a free flag to wait a week to tell them you got a problem. Um, pick up the phone. Uh, it doesn't age well and get on it. And, and that's how you build that trust is being open, transparent, and, um, and having that communication line that goes bi-directionally. Doug, the last time we talked about this, you said that when you talk to new CIOs and you're kind of briefing them on how this job works, if they haven't done it before, that you have a kind of golden rule. Do you remember what you said? I have a lot of golden rules. Don't outrun the headlights of the governor. That's always a big one. And I think, uh, and, and, Stu will, and, and Stu will appreciate this, one of my favorite state CIOs, his, 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 his motto was don't argue with idiots, which is you can't really, can't really put that in. in a, <laughs> that was a... Uh, but I think the other one is, you know, is, uh, you know, the old quote, which has been attributed to a lot of people incorrectly, but, you know, dogs don't bark at parked cars, right? And so I think part of that for the, for the new CIOs is they have to realize right away is that they are going to irritate people. And I always tell them, they say, you know, we've got issues with this. If you haven't irritated somebody in the first 90 days, then you're not doing your job because that means you're, you know, actually moving with, you know, you're, you're, you're making some, some action. So, uh, you know, the dogs don't bark it. The cars just sit there. And so if you're actually moving and you're making progress and you're, you know, running over some things, you're probably aggravating, you know, one or two or multiple agencies because of that. But again, you, like Stu said, you have to make some progress on a regular basis. You know, right now our median tenure is 25 uh, months, which is actually higher than, you know, it's going to be high, it's going to kind of keep going up until January of 2023 after all those elections. So I think that's the reality is that the CIOs have a very short period of time um, to, uh, you know, as just in the general sense to get, to get things done. So uh, you better, you better get moving. But yeah, I think the biggest thing I've seen are CIOs that, you know, aren't in tune to the to the policy positions of the governor's office or the governor and you know they think they're going to be in charge and run out and do something and they usually um, get uh, the uh, the leash gets gets tight real quick when that happens so right well that. that all that all sounds like great advice um though it occurred to this occurred to me last time we spoke also that it sounds like it could conflict somewhat if if uh, interpreted wrong so on the one hand, you're saying be humble and make sure you stay in your lane. And on the other hand, you're saying don't be afraid to upset people and shake things up. So is the is the kind of main idea there to just make sure that you're following the governor and then you're you're OK to to maybe upset some other agencies? How do you balance those those pieces of advice? 
I think that's a good – I've got my perspective. I think that's a good question for Stu because he's been in that, in that position certainly more recently than I have. But I'll let Stu take that one. Yeah, and I think, I think it comes down to when you talk about humble, it, it's – you know, when you're in that position, it's not you, right? It's not, it's not the CIO. It's the team that the CIO has around them, and that's what you have to remember. You have, you have the CIOs. You have the team that's working it, but you also have a lot of courage coming out of the agencies on the ones that are helping you. And that does take courage because you know they're getting pressure from the ground up and probably sometimes from the top down to not do some of those things. So I think remembering that you are uh, an agent of change and you aren't the single sole person. It's not about you. It's about the end game and the objectives that you're trying to reach. And a lot of times those, or I should say most of the time, those should align with what the governor's office is trying to accomplish. Was there ever a time, Stu, when you didn't agree with something the governor was doing or that maybe not even necessarily a disagreement, but just you would have done differently or preferred to to have done differently? And how did you uh, resolve that, if so? (laughs) I mean, certainly there are always times that, you know, certain things that, and the way they go about them sometimes may not be the, the exact way I would do them. But, you know, the end game is the end game, and that's really what you need to focus on and the goals. Doug, uh, what else have we left on the table here? What else should a – so speaking to a new CIO in particular, someone who doesn't know this space and they want to follow the uh, the pirate map, as you say, and they, they're not going to outrun the headlights of the governor – how can they be a successful state CIO? For me, stay stay uh, stay focused, um, and uh, you know, to to Stu's point, you know, recognize that you're in that for a short period of time. So you cannot, you know, I, I always use that phrase, you know, don't get distracted by bright shiny objects. That happens to some state CIOs. There's some there's some new technology or something that comes along, and you know, they're they want to they want to jump on that. In reality, it's going to be more about you know, those uh, successes you have are going to be less about that and more about focusing on, you know, your internal team and building them up and focusing on your customers and, you know, maintaining, uh, maintaining those, maintaining those uh, relationships. Uh, I think uh, the, the CIO community is very homogeneous, regardless of who they've been appointed by and what state they live in. There's a, there's a common kind of, and we and certainly, you know, we, we've all experienced that. Certainly, collegial, uh, they share. There's a collegial activity and everything else about about what they were that they were doing. So, I think uh, a, certainly the ones that uh, you know are are very successful over a longer period of time, they create those relationships with other you know state CIOs. They they find CIOs in their region. They find CIOs they can connect with. Uh, and they, you know, they do that on an interpersonal level, and a lot of that is, uh, you know, I'll be uh, self-serving and say part of that is what Nasio's role is, is to create that, you know, human connection, uh, and that, you know, I know that's what's an important part of what we do is build, you know, create opportunities for them to engage with the association by learning from their fellow CIOs and uh, and. You know, basically, you know, that institutional knowledge of their shared experiences. But that's what we have found. That's, I think that's what I really, really enjoy and love about this group is that kind of 
you know, homogeneous nature of every, they can all share those experiences and learn from each other, and you know, they have common points of pain, and uh, that and that uh, that helps. It's it's difficult always any of our events getting them back from the break is very difficult because they're all out there telling war stories, right? So that's 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 an important part of all of this is is the difference in the public sector of you know sharing the, that they can do that because they're not competitors. Yeah, and I, I would I'll tell you, Colin, when when I talk to new CIOs that are fresh in that role, I, I tell them to engage with NASIO and and to engage with your peers because it it can be cathartic. Number one, because they're all going through the same same uh, same problems and bumping into the same challenges, but you can also get some really good ideas and all the different personalities bring different sort of strengths and insights into some of those things and. I've seen private sector CIOs come in with that, you know, it's there are no trade secrets at the state CIO level, right? I mean, when, when you're talking to the other CIOs, it's an open book, and they're willing to say, here's some pitfalls that you need to stay away from, and NASIO makes that all happen. So I'm a big fan of NASIO, as you can imagine. Doug, any parting thoughts, or did we did we do it? No, I think we've got, uh, got all our all our uh, quotes in there and uh and i always like Stu's lakota sue i think i have that in our new cio workshop materials so he submitted so that's one of the ways we uh we help our cios is we captured uh i, I talked to you know about a dozen of the most tenured state cios for their <clears throat> sage advice to kind of uh, document that so that's what we deliver in our new cio workshop it's not just all the the discussions about you know operational and infrastructure and security. We we actually talk about you know the survival guide, what the leadership things, and that's you know advice from the trenches, and that's I think the the, the most important piece of that. Doug Robinson, the executive director of NASIO, offering advice to the state CIOs of today. He and former Ohio CIO Stu Davis talked to State Scoop's Colin Wood. You can read more about what makes a good CIO at statescoop.com. I'm Jake Williams, the host of the Priorities Podcast from State Scoop. Next week on the show, Bill Vida, the incoming Wyoming CIO, returns to state government. Vida talks with State Scoop's Benjamin Freed about his time as the Department of Interior CIO and his previous role as Alaska's CIO. You can subscribe at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Governors have a huge surge of money coming in from the infrastructure package. They're working now on how to make smart spending decisions with that money. State Scoop Technology Editor Benjamin Freed asked Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson and Colorado Governor Jared Polis at the National Governors Association winter meeting how they're making those calls. And I anticipate that the rules from Treasury will be coming out very soon. And so that's the first step in actually making firm decisions. But we've already started uh, the planning process across agencies and I think in some infrastructure projects, we'll actually cross jurisdictional lines and combine a project with another state, which I've had some meetings with other governors here about that. So the planning process uh, is in gear. Uh, and, uh, and today at the NGA, we expect to really hone in on that issue and, and get more specifics as to uh, the flexibility the states have as in investing uh, that important money for our future. So uh, that you know, your your question um, informs what a lot of the discussion will, will be about. Certainly, we're hearing in meeting with Secretary Buttigieg, Mitch Landrieu. Uh, I think all of the states are extremely interested in how we can get the best bang for the buck with the federal infrastructure dollars. Uh, we also fully recognize 
uh, as Governor Hutchinson alluded to, the interjurisdictional nature of important transportation projects. And here in the Northeast, you're no stranger to that. I mean, you might be between three or four different states, you know, in the course of a 45-minute drive. It's not quite that extreme out our way. But nevertheless, that interstate component and the coordination across different jurisdictions is very important for the convenience of people. Colorado Governor Jared Polis' thoughts about using infrastructure dollars in his state. Ben is here with us now. What else are you hearing from governors on their priorities right now? Probably the biggest priority for governors coming out of Washington right now is that big infrastructure spending plan. And you heard a bit from Governor Hutchinson Polis very broadly about what they're thinking about uh the way they're going to use the money that their states get. Uh, I know you, we kind of heard in that answer from Governor Polis, he, he kind of just wound up talking a bit about highway construction and, and interstates. Uh, but there's a lot of money for broadband and cybersecurity that was in the infrastructure uh, plan. And governors uh, and their uh, officials, like their CIOs and, and, and their, other, uh, you know, their other cabinet members, are, are thinking a lot these days about uh, not just when the money is going to arrive, but how they're actually going to uh, be expected to uh, use it, and that involves a lot of planning, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, talking with uh, both uh, internally in state governments, uh, their local counterparts, but also a lot with the federal agencies that are going to be overseeing all of this. And a lot of that is still very much in the planning stages. So when I talked to governors uh, when they were in D.C., uh, a, lot of, a lot of the conversation turned to, uh, as it has with CIOs, uh, that, uh, you know, these, that plans for these grant programs are still being written. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about sort of that, that technology piece of the decisions that governors have to make. I mean, how are governors like Hutchinson and, and Polis and, and all the other folks uh, around making decisions about tech uh, when it comes to that infrastructure money? Well, in the case of Hutchinson, uh, he really sees it as 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 a as a big interagency opportunity. Uh, you know, he he's made he's the chairman of the National Governors Association right now, and he's made his big initiative, uh, cybersecurity and computer science education in uh, K twelve classrooms, and he framed it a bit uh, as uh, not just an educational uh, necessity, but also a bit of a, a, a national security concern, uh, certainly in terms of you know, training the future cybersecurity workforce and just making sure uh, people, you know, people as young as five and six uh, you know, know, know good basic cyber hygiene. And, uh, I, th- you know, uh, and I, I talked to him a bit about it. You know, whenever we started the initiative, it was primarily coding. We wanted everybody to be able to code. But then uh, we realized that, you know, it's also about uh, the, all the different facets, facets of computer science education that does include the cybersecurity branch. We want them to have some understanding of ethical responsibilities and the issues around it, uh, data privacy. Uh, we want them to understand the future of blockchain. Uh, all of these are areas that students need to be exposed to and then they choose a path of particular interest to them but we're going to have many that will choose that path of cybersecurity because it's a great need it is sort of exciting to them and uh, they can see their future in that arena and it's and it is a national security issue so uh, you start with fundamental computer coding and then you accelerate the quality of the courses and the variety of courses that includes uh, cybersecurity. We've invested in cybersecurity ranges uh, that our students have access to, uh, and that 
can give them the illustration of what protecting a network would be like. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson talking to State Scoops Benjamin Freed about the evolution of his tech and cyber workforce initiatives as chair of the National Governors Association. Ben is still with us. You know, Ben, you reported that CISA Director Jen Easterly spoke to the governors. How are governors approaching cyber? Obviously, they are not the ones with their hands on the keyboards in in the practice of it. But but what are they thinking about when it comes to cyber? Yeah, this is another one of those topics where you know, governors hear a lot at the high at, at the high levels, um, but for the most part, uh, they don't get uh, you know they don't really get their hands dirty uh, because it's a, you know, it's a issue with a lot of finesse and governors have, to, you know, governors at least, you know, kind of have to keep their eye on everything uh, affecting their states. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, we had, a, there were a few questions from uh, governors, John Carney of Delaware and uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham from New Mexico, who, who basically acknowledged they don't really know the finer points of cybersecurity. They just wanted to hear why it's important that their, uh, that they focus their state governments on uh, improving cyber hygiene, like enabling multi-factor authentication, uh, taking bigger steps like retiring legacy technology uh, and moving to secure cloud uh, services, all of which uh, are things that uh, Easterly uh, Im- uh, impressed upon. Uh, but again, the, the, the grant program that's in the infrastructure bill, uh, it did come up again, uh, Easterly, um, as the head of CISA, she has she heard one of her one of her jobs right now. Um, obviously, she has a huge number of things on her plate overall. But one of her jobs, right? One of her duties right now is to be uh, is to be talking with FEMA, which is actually going to be distributing the money. Um, but CISA is kind of playing the you know advise you know the, the the lead advisory role in kind of drawing up uh, what the expectations of these grants uh, will be when they start flowing. Um, and that's something uh, that governors like other state level officials like CIOs, um, as well as local officials like mayors uh, are really waiting for details on. Um, you know, one person I did catch up with uh, is Governor John Bell Edwards of Louisiana. And he's actually been one of the uh, more involved governors when it comes to cybersecurity. He's had a lot of um, Louisiana, he's had a lot of firsthand experience uh, responding to cyber incidents uh, in his state. Uh, and uh, he told me a bit about what he's hearing from uh, from CISA and uh, how he's preparing for the program. First $200 million should be available uh, in the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, and we got information yesterday that we're distributing to all the governors about the elements that they're going to be looking for in the grant applications. Uh, one of those things is making sure that we're... Uh, focused on uh, upgrading legacy systems. Uh, Quite often, small uh, government, local government, they will have really, really old systems that are just about impossible uh, to protect adequately. And so if we can identify those legacy systems uh, that are most vulnerable, but that serve a very valuable purpose, then we believe we can build a, a competitive grant application around that. So, so we are already learning the sorts of things they're going to be looking for, and we, we're uh, evaluating our, our uh, vulnerabilities uh, and, and, and so forth so that we can uh, put together a really competitive grant application now so that we're not just, just waiting until, until the, the rules come yeah. out. Yeah. And, uh, and just more broadly, uh, what do, you, have you, do you think you've made 
uh, progress uh, as a state in this area in the last yeah. few years, especially you know, since you did have all the schools well, uh, that were right. That well, we, we, we have. Yeah. And look, we, we've had a lot of challenges, uh, but I can tell you, we, we added emergency support uh, function 17 to our governor's office, mm -hmm. Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. We have had to exercise it numerous times. And we also have a cybersecurity task force mm -hmm. uh, that has been activated uh, a number of times, and we actually have folks from the National Guard, from State Police, from the Office of Technology Services. Uh, but then we, we have academics uh, who come over from Baton Rouge. We have the, Na the, uh, the National Guard, as I mentioned. And then quite often, sometimes we go out and find volunteers uh, in, in the private sector who come and help us surge and go and help a local government or a hospital or whatever that, that, uh, that uh, has been attacked, or we, if we determine there's a vulnerability. So we, we're certainly making progress. I am never going to say that we're where we need to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, so much of what they said in there, Walga, makes a lot of uh, sense to me. Uh, and so we're going to go home and, and, and see how much of that we can implement. Uh, and by the way, we're, we do run tabletop exercises, but we actually exercise this in a real world much more often than most people realize. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards talking to State's Keeps Benjamin Freed about how his state is evolving its cybersecurity efforts after a series of ransomware attacks in past years. You can read more about Louisiana and other states' cybersecurity efforts, as well as the highlights from the National Governors Association winter meeting on statescoop.com. The Priorities Podcast is available at PrioritiesPodcast.com, as well as on all of the podcast platforms. The show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Emily Bamforth, Benjamin Freed, Ryan Johnston, and Colin Wood helped put this show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.